Tonight in your Bibles, we invite you to turn to Micah chapter 6. You can find that in your pew Bible on page 1075. We'll read Micah 6, the entire chapter, and then we'll be looking especially at verses 9 through 16 as we continue our series expounding this book of the Bible uh, section by section. Well, we begin reading then at the beginning verse of Micah 6. And hear now together the reading of the Word of God. Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The Lord's voice cries to the city, Wisdom shall see your name. Hear the rod, who has appointed it? Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the short measure that is an abomination? Shall I count pure those with the wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weights? For her rich men are full of violence, her inhabitants have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You may carry some away, but shall not save them. And what you do rescue I will give over to the sword. You shall sow but not reap. You shall tread the olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. And make sweet wine, but not drink wine." For the statutes of Omri are kept, all the works of Ahab's house are done, and you walk in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation, and your inhabitants a hissing. Therefore you shall bear the reproach of my people. And thus far our reading for this evening from the Word of God. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it has been approximately one year since we moved uh, to the city of Pella. We've learned some things over the year. One of the things that we learned is what you are not supposed to do when there is a tornado warning. I remember the first tornado warning that we had here since our move in Pella. A couple of my offspring thought it would be an appropriate thing to do in light of the approaching storm to visit the local Walmart, to buy cupcakes, to bring home, to eat while watching the storm. 
I've always been confused about the difference between tornado warnings and tornado watches, uh, but the distinction was made known to me when the sirens went off in town. And then I came to my senses. I said to myself and then communicated to the unmentioned offspring, I don't think it's a wise thing to do when there is a tornado warning to go and buy cupcakes. Now this is more than just some silly introduction story. I believe that you could say that many, many people in our world and in our churches are figuratively speaking buying cupcakes even while the alarms of God's impending judgment are being sounded. Many people seem satisfied to eat, drink, and be merry, knowing full well that tomorrow they may die, and yet denying or at least suppressing the reality that tomorrow they may die, and that they may die underneath the judgment of a holy and a righteous God. I trust that all of us, including you boys and girls, you know why tornado warning sirens go off. That we might be made aware of the coming judgment so that we might then respond appropriately by finding shelter. And so the prophet Micah, he sounds the warning of God's coming judgment, not just because he enjoys being a prophet of doom, but because he has been commissioned by God to sound the alarm so that the faithful remnant in Israel might still find refuge, hoping in the promise that a coming deliverer would arrive with salvation and healing in his wings. And so tonight, in the time allotted to us, we want to look at this section of Micah's prophecy underneath the theme, The Lord Foretells the Judgment of Judah. And we'll notice, first of all, the reason in the foretelling of judgment. And then secondly, the description of the foretelling of judgment. And then thirdly, the purpose of the foretelling of judgment. Now that word foretelling, we don't use that word a whole lot anymore, but that's exactly what the biblical prophets did. A prophet was an office bearer in the nation of Israel, and a prophet was to receive a message from God. And then the prophet was to make known to the people of God that message from God. And what God would do through the prophets is he would tell beforehand the work or the event that he was going to do in the future. And that's why the word is the appropriate word, to foretell, to tell beforehand. So Micah has this obligation laid upon him by the Lord God Almighty to go about Judah and to tell the inhabitants of Judah about what the Lord, the covenant Lord, was going to do in the near future. And Micah had this solemn responsibility to tell Judah that the Lord was coming to execute judgment. And he identifies very clearly the reason for this coming judgment. It was because of the prevalence within the covenant community of social injustice and spiritual idolatry. Now, social justice or social injustice is one of those buzzwords 
uh, that for many of us automatically creates uh, an action or a reaction. Uh, and that's true of the Western world in general, the United States of America in particular. Over the past several years, this has become the buzzword, social justice. And congregation, with all honesty, I believe that there are two dangers that we need to be warned about. The one is buying in with all of the awoke mentality, not thinking biblically about the nature of justice, trying to develop a theory of justice apart from God and apart from the Word of God. That, you might say, is the ditch on the one side of the road that we need to avoid. But in all controversies, there is also a ditch on the other side, and the ditch on the other side that we need to avoid is just saying, well, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about social justice or social injustice. The Bible does have much to say about just dealings with our fellow human man. And Judah, the covenant people of the Lord, they were experiencing a time of temporary prosperity even as they were approaching the coming judgment. But their prosperity for many of them was a result of their social injustice. And that's the reason or the explanation behind these verses in verse 11 and 12, the Lord says, shall I count pure those with the wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weights? These were means of measurements and the buying and the selling and the trading of daily provisions. He goes on, for her rich men are full of violence, her inhabitants have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Now, I would encourage you to keep open your, your Bibles this evening. We'll be cross-referencing several passages. Uh, the first one to shed light on these dishonest scales is found in Leviticus 19, verse 35 and 36. And the Lord is very, very concerned about justice in our day-to-day -day interaction and our business practices with our fellow man, especially within the covenant community, especially within the people of God. And so in Leviticus 19, verse 35 and 36, the Lord is speaking to His people, and He says, "'You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hen. I am the Lord your God.'" Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now in contrast to that, the Lord comes through Micah and Micah 6 verse 11, and the Lord says, I am a holy God, and I have clearly informed you, instructed, and mandated that you should have honesty and integrity in your use of measurements. Shall I now count pure those with the wicked scales? And the rhetorical question is answered, absolutely not. Just simply, this is an elaboration, you might say, upon the moral commandment, you shall not steal. You shall not steal by way of false measurements, by way of crooked business practices. And just simply this point of application, the Lord our God, He watches over the marketplace. He watches over our business practices. He watches over our transactions. 
He sees the currency exchange hands. He sees the business deals, the formal business deals, or perhaps the informal business deals, and he evaluates every single transaction in light of his standard of justice and equity. Are our measurements true, or are they false? But social injustice, which has such prevalence in Judah, social injustice flowed out of their spiritual idolatry. And this, I believe, is identified as the very root problem. The spiritual idolatry in Judah was that which has caused the social injustice. Men dealt falsely with their fellow man because primarily the idol of greed and the idol of self. And that's why the mentions there of King Omri and King Ahab, they had set up Baal worship. They had desolated the land, and to cross-reference again, you could go to 1 Kings 16 to see what it was that they had done in the northern kingdoms that had resulted in the exile and the captivity of the northern kingdoms that had then infiltrated and spread into the southern kingdoms and was going to be the reason for the southern kingdom's exile. Verse 25 of 1 Kings 16, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. Now notice this phrase, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. And now we remember also the first commandment is very clear. The Lord says, you shall have no other gods before me. But when a people, when a people set up idols, when a people begin to serve something other than the Lord God, and when a people begin to serve themselves, their own pleasures, their own wills, their own wants, their own desires, then very quickly man deals falsely with his fellow man in order to obtain as much as he can from his fellow man to serve the lusts and the desires of his own greedy heart. And this was characterized by the marketplace, by the business transactions, by the daily interactions within the context of Judah. And so there is this reminder that the Lord watches over the marketplace, but also this reminder, take great care Each and every one of us take great care that idols do not spring up in our hearts because idolatry will lead to injustice and idolatry which leads to injustice will lead to the receiving of the judgment of God. Now we don't have our bells in our backyards, but we have the dangerous temptations of idols within our hearts. And another thing that characterized uh, the nation in Judah's during Micah's day was simply the love of pleasure. There was a appearance of material prosperity in Judah. People were sitting saying, life is good. There's nothing to worry about. We have our political alliances in place. The economy is going well. Yes, sure, the northern tribes have been carried off, but 
That's the northern tribes. And it's in that context, and perhaps that applies to our context, that Micah comes and says, judgment is coming. And he doesn't just identify the reason, social injustice and spiritual idolatry. He also then goes into our second point by describing what the judgment will be, and there is an irony in God's judgment. God says to his covenant people, you want to serve yourselves and your idols by dealing in an unjust way one with another? I will judge you with deprivation and desolation. You will try to build your houses and fill them. And as fast as you try to fill them, I will empty them. And as diligently as you try to occupy them, I will cast you out. The judgment is that of deprivation and desolation. Deprivation, we gather from what is said there in verses 13, 14, and 15 of our text. Therefore, that is because of the sins identified in verses 10, 11, and 12. Therefore, I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You may carry some away, but shall not save them. And what you do rescue, I will give over to the sword. And now notice the frustration and the futility. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread the olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. And make sweet wine, but not drink wine. And why all of this futility? Because the statues of Omri are kept, and all the works of Ahab's house are done, and you walk in their counsels. A deprivation has this meaning to keep from possessing or enjoying something by withholding it. And so the Lord, the Lord doesn't say at this point that you won't be able to sow. He doesn't say that you won't have any olives. He doesn't say that you won't have wine. And indeed, for the time being in Micah's day, the economy would continue to go on. The riches would continue to be stored up. The agricultural would continue to produce. But because the judgment of the Lord was on the near horizon, those who were exhausting themselves in the pursuit of such things and the idolatry of pleasure would find them taken away just as they reached out to grasp them. The Lord says, oh, you'll make wine, but you won't drink it. Oh, you'll plant your fields, but you won't harvest it. And why not? Because you're going to be exiled. Because you're going to be cast out of the land. Because someone else will come and partake of the goods that you have produced. Now, why was this going to occur? Because of the covenant curses of our Lord that would come upon Israel for their idolatry. If you turn to Deuteronomy 28, and I'm not so sure that we well understand covenant theology in connection especially with the covenant curses. 
Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, and then 38 through 42. And we acknowledge that we're picking verses uh, that apply to this deprivation, this curse that would come upon the covenant community. So in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And now notice what these curses would involve. Verse 38, you shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourselves with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. And why? Because the covenant curses that would come upon idolatry and injustice. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, echoes this Old Testament point by saying, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. There are many who mock God. There are the pretended atheist. There are also the pretended agnostics. There are those who say that God is dead. And in their intellectual arrogance, they say that religion is just an opium for the masses. But there are also those who mock God in perhaps a more subtle form. Covenant curses? I don't believe it. I think I can engage in crooked business practices. I think I can serve idols. I think I can follow the imagination of my own heart. I think I can live for me. And I don't think anything's going to happen. That's mocking God. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For that which a man sows, he will also reap. The Lord says, you want injustice, you want idolatry, I'm going to take it all away. And the land will be desolate. The Lord speaks of judgment by way of desolation or being barren or laid waste, deprived or destitute of inhabitants. And I haven't been out west yet, at least not to many places. But you know, boys and girls, maybe you read stories also of what's known as ghost towns. Towns that when the west was being won, when there was maybe the gold rush or the big western expansion, towns that they say almost sprang up overnight, all kinds of buildings would go up, all kinds of activity would go on in these towns. Now nothing. 
You know, sometimes on a movie, perhaps you'll see the ghost town in an old western and nothing rolling down the streets except tumbleweed. Now, when the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, he promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. And there was the promise that every man would sit underneath his fig tree and that life would be plentiful. And that you can think of Psalm 127 and 128, uh, that your wife would be a fruitful vine, sons and daughters like branches around the table. There was this promise of prosperity and of blessing. And yet God is not mocked. You worship idols. There will be deprivation and desolation. This also is pointed out in Deuteronomy 28, verses 64 through 68. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place, but there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, falling eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall have fear day and night and have no assurance of life. Now listen to this horrific statement. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. And at the evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. I can't help but wonder as I reflect upon these things, the growing sense of anxiety within our culture. And I know there's so many factors that contribute to these rise in numbers. But the growing sense of anxiety, does it correlate with the emptying of the churches? I don't know the exact answer, but where do you think more people are this evening? In a place of worship? Or in a place of secular entertainment and recreation? And now I know perhaps we'll violate the one-year honeymoon stage and I don't even know if the Sprint Car Nationals, if they concluded last night, maybe they're still going tonight. Which do you think is more populated? The faithful churches of our area? Or the grandstands of many race cars going around and around and around and around for hours on end? Oh, we have our idols. And the Lord speaks to us and says, if you want to serve them, just know that I will not be mocked. And if you serve self, there will be deprivation and desolation. Well, why does the Lord foretell these judgments to come? There is a purpose. Verse 9 of our text identifies this. The Lord's voice cries to the city. Wisdom shall see your name. Hear the rod. Who has appointed it? 
That simply means understand. Understand who brings the judgment before the judgment actually comes so that you might escape the judgment to come. And, and that's where the analogy with the tornado sirens, and, and that's why I suppose good parents teach their children when you hear those sirens, that's an emergency warning. Understand that when you hear those sirens, don't get in your car and don't travel to Walmart and don't peruse the aisles looking for cupcakes, but take shelter and find a safe place. And so as these warnings come, as these prophetic oracles come, as the Lord comes and as He foretells judgment, He does so for a merciful reason. He does so for a gracious reason. If you think back, my own hometown, Hudsonville, Michigan, in the mid-1950s, a massive tornado struck. Now, of course, I don't remember that. I'm not that old. My father remembers it. He watched it come as he ate his evening meal as a young boy on the back steps of the house. And I don't know what it was in this community in the 1950s, but there were no warning. There were no emergency sounds. There were no tornado sirens. And the result was devastation. My wife's grandfather and that tornado lost a mother, a sister, and I believe one, maybe even two nieces. Because no one knew the storm was coming. And I fear that that's going to be the way it is for many in the Western world. And now, there are those times in which the, the alarms are tested. In my hometown, it was every Friday, the first Friday of the month. I shouldn't say every Friday. The first Friday of the month at 12 o'clock, the tornado sirens were tested. And I have to admit, it was kind of annoying. The dog would howl. And depending where you were, it could be really loud. Now imagine how absolutely crazy a person would have to be to say, you know what, that sounds annoying. I'm going to cut that tower down. I'm going to stuff something in the warning sound so I don't have to hear it anymore. But isn't that what many a pulpit has done? Isn't that what many a church has done? We don't like those warnings. We don't like that sound. We don't like these foretellings of judgment to come. Silence him. Speak to us peace, peace. Just over and over. And if you don't, well, then we'll go about our own merry way. Close down the churches. Let's not have so much of this biblical preaching. And if we do have to have preaching, 
certainly don't wade through the Old Testament prophecies of doom. Why would we preach on such a thing? Because the Lord still calls. The Lord still calls to you and to me and says that today is coming in which He will do a most fearful work. I mean, I, I admit to you, if there was a way in good conscience that I could get around preaching about the judgment to come, I would do it. But there's not a way around it if we are going to be faithful to Scripture. There is a coming judgment of Almighty God upon idolatry and injustice. But we dare not stop there. Boys and girls, I hope that you read books. If you do read books, have you ever read a book and started, and I know sometimes maybe teachers say not to do this. Always listen to your teachers, but on this point, I don't always listen to them. Do you ever have it where you start a book and you just can't wait to see how it ends? And so you look at the back. I want to do that tonight. Let's look at the back of the prophecy of Micah. Because every sermon as we've made our way through Micah, I just cannot wait to get to the end. Micah 7 Verse 18, now we have been warned about the coming judgment. And why does God warn us? Why did Micah walk through the streets of Judah, saying, in essence, there is a judgment to come, so that he could then follow up with this prophetic oracle, who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. And all of this, of course, rests upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. So yes, tonight, you might say the tornado sirens have sounded. That on the horizon, the eschatological horizon, is the end of the world. Now we're not making any predictions of when exactly that day will be. That would be utter foolishness. But we are solemnly saying to each and every one of us, God is not mocked. But we are also saying, God is a God of mercy, and God is a God of grace. And God is a God who in and through the Lord Jesus Christ passes over the transgressions, who does not retain His anger forever, who will subdue our iniquities, who will cast all of our sins. If we take refuge in Jesus Christ... And so today, in conclusion, if you hear His voice, if you've heard the voice of Micah, if you've heard the voice of the Lord God Almighty, do not harden your hearts, but rather call upon the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and find there a refuge, a sure, solid refuge 
to protect you when the storms of judgment do indeed come. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we ask that you would bless your word. A difficult passage, and yet we do firmly believe a most important passage. Uh, Lord, we pray that we might not have these words quickly taken away from us by all of the concerns of our earthly life. But we pray that it might fall upon soft and humble hearts and might produce faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that knowing the danger of idolatry and also the evils of biblically defined injustice, that we might take refuge from the coming storm of divine wrath in the safe haven of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We ask this for your name's sake. Amen.